We'll try to make this one a little bit short since you're not feeling so well. Yeah. Also because it's a billion degrees in our recording room. True. True. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. We're discussing chapter two of Assassin's Quest this week, The Parting, which is a terrible chapter. Yes. It's my actually least a favorite. Great, it's a great chapter, but it's very hard to read because Fitz airs out a lot of his grievances that are, from his perspective, correct. But it's we just get it from the first person point of view, and it just hurts the people that we love in the book. So uh-huh. yeah, it's not great. However, the beginning part of that does not talk about that yet. It's a, another recap of what is going on in Buckheap Castle. So we get the whole situation of Prince Regal stripping the coastal duchies to sell off and. Uh, move everything that's you know luxury food everything like that inland to the inland duchies yes and that originally his reasoning was to keep comforts for the ailing king and pregnant queen-in-waiting that has been widowed Um, but when the king had died and Ketrican had gone missing uh, he just dropped that flimsy resolve and kept on plundering Yep, he says that uh, when the Council of Nobles questioned his decision, he told them that the coastal duchies represented only war and expense to him, that they had always been a leech upon his the resources of the inland duchies, and he wished the out-islanders the joy of taking such a rocky and cheerless place. Regal was later to deny having ever uttered those words. Do you think he did utter those, or do you think that's like something that got exaggerated i feel like he never specifically said that but that was like the gist of what he said just more flowery so he didn't outright cause a civil war of saying i'm abandoning you because you guys are worthless yeah no that's i think what surprised me because although this is definitely how regal feels it felt a little too direct for regal it is yeah i think a lot of this that is it even in the stories that we get, not just the historical happenings, mm-hmm. are very uh, editorialized, I guess. Right. So I thought that was like an interesting little tidbit of, hmm, I wonder. I mean, I'm sure that's basically what he said, but yeah, <laughs> I wonder how close to the truth it actually is. Although if he was like drunk or high, I could see him saying word for word that. So who knows? And so when the king and the queen vanish, or queen-in-waiting, I I suppose I should say, some heat came upon Regal as well because everyone around the duchies are like, oh, well, he wants to be king so badly, he crowned himself king-in-waiting right away, and then the night of that, the king and the queen-in-waiting disappeared, so some of that heat went back onto him. Mm -hmm. But he didn't really care that much, (laughs) at least about those rumors. Yeah. He just wanted to be king and waiting, moved everything inland to the inner duchies and kind of to be able to get the unanimous approval to be king and waiting. He had to make promises to the outer duchies to be king. Period. Oh, to be king. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, he had to make promises because you to be king of the six duchies, you have to have 
unanimous decision. And he promised the outer duchies, the coastal duchies, that he would keep their coasts defended and manned. And to do that, he left Lord Bright in Buckkeep. Lord Bright was a son who felt like he had waited too long to take command from his father in one of the, the duchies. And so he jumped at that opportunity, but he did not have a lot of experience in leading. And he brought his own guards with him from Pharaoh. Right. Also, it is said that, um, first of all, he's 25. So the fact that he's impatient to lead is a little funny. Um, and secondly, Regal didn't necessarily leave him any funds, supposedly, according to rumor. Right. Um, so with no experience of how to lead and no money to do it, he turned to taxing the already impoverished people excessively. Yep, the merchants, the embattled farmers and shepherds of surrounding Buck Duchy. And while there was no indication that he felt any malice toward the folk of Buck or any other coastal duchy, neither did he have any loyalty to them at all. So it didn't matter, you know, that he was taxing those people. He just needed to get it done. So he did it. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, do you think Regal really left nothing for him? This is Regal's oldest nephew, and I know Regal hates the duchies, they're the coastal duchies, but does he hate his cousin that much? Or do you think this was an excuse? Um, I feel like he didn't really give him that much money and he could have framed it in a positive way. Like, hey, you're proving your worth to your father and showing them all. You can run all these. These outer duchies can be all of yours. All four of these are mm-hmm. yours if you run them but they've always been a drag on our expenses and things like that so make of it what you will kind of thing and then just mm. left him to his own devices interesting i'm not sure or maybe his uh his cousin the duke or whatever um came to him like hey my son is getting really antsy and he's annoying me i want him <laughs> gone like he can rule this yeah let's just kind of <laughs> I guess... settle down in these other ones <laughs> yeah in my mind i figured that regal did leave money probably not very much because i mean as much as we bag on regal uh i don't really believe there would be much money um, even though Regal seems to find enough money to throw excessive parties, I still think that they probably are not as well off as normal because of the war. Um, but I, I still think Regal would have left him with some money just because he actually likes his cousin. But maybe the inexperience of leading left him with way less than he thought and led him to overtaxation. Yeah, possible. Um, possible. Or maybe I'm just reading too far into a little tiny paragraph. <laughs> This beginning part also goes into the other minor nobility who were left at Buck, and Buckkeep in particular. Most landholders of Buck were at their own lesser keeps doing what little they could to protect their local folk. The most notable to remain at Buckkeep was Lady Patience. Goes a little bit into who she is, because this is written as a history. Right. Of what is happening. And then also says that Manning Buckkeep were the Buck soldiers, as well as Queen Ketrakin's personal guard, and the few men who remained of King Shrewd's guard. Morale across those soldiers, and I'm guessing across the whole keep, was very poor. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have much pay at all, and the rations were very sporadic and poor as well. Not a lot of food, because all of it got shipped inland. 
And so Lord Bright had also brought his own personal guard. And there, right. there's like confusion in the way that people are supposed to report to one another and the chain of command in that way. Supposedly, uh, they're supposed to report to Captain Keffel of the Pharaoh Men the commander of Lord Bright's guard, but in reality, Foxglove of the Queen's guard, Kerf of the Buckkeep guard, and Old Red of King Shrewd's guard banded together and kept their own counsel. If they reported regularly to anyone, it was Lady Patience. In time, the Buck soldiers came to speak of her as the Lady of Buckkeep. So we get a little bit of more insight of how she, how Lady Patience has been consolidating power and slowly gathering people away from Lord Bright to competently run Buckkeep. Right. Yeah. And it's really impressive because there's no real reason for her to do this. I mean, she was married into the Farseer family, but they're kind of all dead now or gone. So it's kind of insane when you think about how loyal she is to the family and to making sure that there is a line or something to rule whenever the rightful heir comes back. Because Lady Patience is very, uh, is full of empathy for the people of Buckkeep as well. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's the same kind of thing that we've spoken of before that Verity has told Fitz, like, you will come to care and want to, you know, better the world, and Shade has told Fitz that too. You, like, right. want to take care of your people because you view them as, you know, something that you can take care of kind of yeah. thing. So I feel like it's a similar situation there too. She was in a place to do it and kind of got the confidence and propelled to do it. And she stepped up. I mean, yeah. it's just really impressive, I think. Also probably out of anger and spite to Regal right. for <laughs> ruining all of her family. True. It does make a mention here of something that we remarked on before, I think in the prologue, possibly, that Regal was looking for Queen Ketrican all over, and when he finally talked to King Ayod of the Mountain Kingdom and asked them, uh, asked him to tell him the whereabouts of Queen Ketrican if she had been stowaway in the Mountain Kingdom, mm-hmm. he said basically, you know, F that's off. That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's like, you know, the Queen of Six Duchies isn't our jurisdiction, so figure it out yourself. <laughs> yeah. He blocked trade to the, the Mountain Kingdom. And at the same time as that happened, rumors that almost certainly began at Regal's behest began to circulate that the child Ketrican carried was not of Verity's getting, and hence had no legitimate claim to the Six Duchy's throne. Right, so he's gone to his backup plan. If he can't find her and ensure she dies... <laughs> discredit that the child is in line for the throne so he is, can be secure. Right, which also... To be fair, at that time period, how would you prove either way? <laughs> it's just one person's word against the other. Sure, so. but one of them is the king of the six duchies. We, you, you have you have underestimated Regal's reach in this rumor. Yes, but I'm saying before. exactly <laughs> like I mean, just in general, in the time, it would be hard. It'd be one man's word versus the other. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's King Regal's word versus the castaways. A widow right. of like <laughs> the yeah. king nobody even liked and and especially because the rumor puts you into a light of 
I don't know exactly how I want to say this, but it puts Queen Ketrakin in a dirty light, I guess. She is no longer a pure royal who was married to their king-in-waiting Verity, who is their savior. Mm -hmm. She uh, betrayed him and got a kid with somebody else who she was not married to, so obviously Regal has the moral high ground in that rumor to begin with. Right. So just inherently they're going to be more likely to believe that rumor because it came from him or that side. You know, I know it's it just, it's gross, but he's good at it. I get it. It it does assure him basically a 100 percent foolproof way of becoming king in the future or staying king in yeah. the future. Um, as long as Verity actually dies. Right. Yeah. And he doesn't <laughs> come back. The last paragraph of this beginning section basically describes how the whole coast is falling apart. Yeah. It's a quick little sum up that everyone is bitter there's no food. Trade is dead because the raiders are running rampant. People are, farmhands are leaving to go inland to find whatever little thing that they can because the coast where they had their job, they're just going to die there. They're not, probably not getting paid. There's no money. There's no trade. It's, well, yeah, because whatever doesn't get stolen by the raiders gets taxed yeah. by Lord Bright. So they literally have no future there, and they leave inland to find whatever they can. So it's it's a rough time yeah. in the Sucsuchies here. A lot of thieves popping up. We rejoin Fitz right where we left off with him talking to Chade. At the end of last chapter, they met on the road, and Chade uh, greeted Fitz as his boy again. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about small things here, nothing pretentious or or big or anything like that just small little news how slink is getting along and uh shade thinks he might not last another year because he's getting old for a weasel that's that sort of thing just little things that they miss cook sarah's pastries if fitz wanted anything from his room just small little things like that Mm -hmm. and with that question, Fitz kind of thinks about his life and thinks about the things that he might want to take, and he says, no, I don't really want anything. He, he tells a joke to Jade, like, hey, remember that tapestry that scared, scared me forever? Yeah, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> he says, there's nothing in my room that's important to me now. Jade looked at me almost sadly. You leave behind a life with what? The clothes on your back and an earring? And you say there's nothing there you'd wish brought to you? Does that not strike you as strange? Fitz thinks a little bit, and he can recall some other things. You know, Verity's sword, a silver ring that King Aeod had given him from, uh, I think from Rurisk. Yeah, that had been Rurisk's, yeah. Yes. A pin from Lady Grace, Patience's sea pipes, paints and papers, little box he had carved to hold poisons, and... Nothing else, really. And he decides, no, I, I don't really want any of that. I want it to be a clean break. I need to be dead, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he shows Chade the pin, the uh, the king's pin that he still has. He's like, oh, I do have this. It's not just an earring. I have King Shrewd's pin as yes. well. And in seeing the pin, Chade is surprised that Regal's men didn't rob his body when they thought him dead. And that maybe it was the wit that scared them off. To which Fitz, you know, touches his broken or 
not any more broken, but clearly at one time broken nose and says, didn't seem like they were that scared of me when they were beating me up. And Shade, this is a funny little light interaction and probably the lightest interaction we get this whole chapter. So I want to read it before we get into the deep dark (laughs) that will be the rest of the chapter. Um, Shade smiled crookedly at me. The nose bothers you, does it? I think it gives your face more character. I squinted at him in the sunlight. Really? No, but it's a polite thing to say. And it's not so bad, really. It almost looks as if somebody tried to set it. And it's just a cute little... (laughs) No, it does not look good. And of course, but mentioning that at the end does bring up painful memories for Fitz. Yes. And we immediately go from the light, light moment into kind of changing the subject. Yeah. And Fitz asks for news. What, what's going on? Right. He tries to get away from the painful subject of the dungeons to mm-hmm. find out what's happening with the living. Yep. And Shade says there's not much going on. Well, he asks, how much does Fitz know, basically? Where right. to, where where can I start? And Fitz fills him in on everything that he heard, that we heard through, you know, his fuzzy memories. Yes, of the last chapter. Of, yep. And Shade is very surprised that he recollects any of that. And Fitz kind of has to say, well, it was, you know, through a dreamlike trance. You know, I can't really recall everything. Everything's kind of out of order in time, but some things peek through here and there. And he mentions at the end of his listing of what he remembers, he says that Verity is still alive, but no one has heard from him. So after... Fitz like clarifies like I only remember some things. Yeah. Chade continues on probing him. He's like, and that about Verity? The sudden tension in him put a chill of dread down my spine. He skilled to me that night, I said quietly. I told you then that he was alive. Damn! Chade leaped to his feet and hopped about in rage. It was a performance I had never witnessed before, and I stared at him, caught between amazement and fear. Birk and I gave your words no credence. Oh, we were pleased to hear you utter them, and when you ran off, he said, Let the boy go. That's as much as he can do tonight. He remembers his prince. That's all we thought it was. Damn and damn. He halted suddenly and pointed a finger at me. Report. Tell me everything. And so Chade is very, very frantic here, because he's thinking we left off, you know, a few weeks ago when we knew when we could have known Verity was alive this whole time and been planning something, try to get in contact with him, whatever. And so he's pressing Fitz for more details and Fitz is trying to remember what he can. It was as difficult to sort it out as if I had seen it through the wolf's eyes. He was cold, but alive, either tired or hurt, slowed somehow. He was trying to get through and I was pushing him away. So he kept suggesting I drink to get my walls down, I suppose. Where was he? I don't know. Snow. A forest. I groped after ghostly memories. I don't think he knew where he was. Chade's green eyes bored into me. Can you reach him at all? Feel him at all? Can you tell me that he still lives? I shook my head. My heart was starting to pound in my chest. Can you skill to him now? I shook my head. Tension tightened my belly. Chade's frustrations grew with every shake of my head. Damn it, Fitz, you must! I don't want to, I cried out suddenly. I was on my feet. Run away, run away fast, came from Night Eyes. And Fitz does. 
I do want to pause to talk about this section, um, this growing tension that kind of started when he mentioned, when Chade brought up that somebody probably tried to set his nose straight. There's this growing feeling of dread and fits that we see in little bits, but most especially here in what Luke just read with the tension tightening in the belly and the heart pounding and just the pure panic. And it's so sad because the skill obviously has become something very traumatic with what he had to deal with with Will. It already wasn't a great thing with him because of Galen, but just seeing the slight mention of reach out to Verity so we can tell that he's still alive and he's not even thinking about checking up on the uncle that he loves. He's just thinking about his fear. Yeah. And it's not even just the skill. I mean, that's a big part of it. Right. But that part of him brings him face to face with what he's trying to forget. Because even though he's acting like a human, there's still not that full connection there. He is right. not fits as we knew him yet. He is somebody who is trying to be someone new, forgetting all of his obligations of the past, and him forcing to confront the skill, contacting Verity, reaching out to see if he's alive, talking to him, that is straight up admitting, like, hey, I can be who I once was who made me die. Like, you know, this is the path that made me get tortured and ultimately die, and I don't know if I want to confront that yet. So that sort of thing is what makes him flee, And and he does confront that a little bit later, a couple pages from now. But yeah, no, it's it's sad, but it's so well written. Just yeah, I feel like whenever I read this section, I get tense. I'm like slow build. Oh, no, like, no, what's coming. (laughs) (laughs) And I just feel so bad for him. But I, I think it's so well done that there's it's just a little bit at first and then all at once the just run away now. Yeah. And and we can really tell that he's not fully a man yet, full of, you know, critical thinking and reasoning and control of his emotions because those little prompts, that little fear just causes him to bolt, just like right. an animal. Right. He's still animal-like in a lot of his tendencies. Right. He's just covering it up. Exactly. And it, it's especially striking because... Why would he need to run away from Chade? Right. I mean, Chade is angry at this point, but I don't think Chade would hurt him. No, it's not directed at him either, really. No, it's frustration of losing three weeks of planning, I'm sure. But yeah, it's definitely a sign that he's not fully human again yet. Fitz runs away and meets up with Night Eyes in the woods. Night Eyes directs him away from where Beric is, and they go to be alone. Night Eyes asks... What was it? What was the danger? He wanted me to go back, I admitted after a time. I tried to frame it in a way that Night Eyes would understand. He wanted me to... be not a wolf anymore. A sudden chill went up my back. In explaining to Night Eyes, I had brought myself face to face with the truth. The choice was simple. Be a wolf with no past... No future, only today. Or a man, twisted by his past, whose heart pumped fear with his blood. I could walk on two legs, and no shame and cowering as a way of life. Or run on four, and forget until even Molly was just a pleasant scent I recalled. He sits and thinks about this. And 
suddenly says my decision grew as slowly and inevitably as the creeping dark. My heart cried out against it, but the alternatives were unbearable. I steeled my will to it. And he walks back to the cabin. As he's getting close, he reluctantly peels his mind free of Night Eyes's. Would you not rather hunt with me? I would much rather hunt with you, but I cannot this night. Why? I shook my head. The edge of a decision was so thin and new, I dared not test it by speaking. Squares his shoulders and walks in. And he can see them there, and he feels extremely vulnerable. This is another part of, like, the animal coming in. You can see them, like, and a little bit of old fits peeking through as well. Right. His secrets are bare between them. Obviously, they've talked about him, you know, behind his back. Although he should have expected that as well. Right. <laughs> because they're trying to save him. He says, between the two of them, they knew almost all of my secrets. My tattered dignity now dangled in shreds. Yet I could not fault them for it. They had been trying to save me. From myself, it was true, but saved me all the same. Not their fault that what they had saved was scarcely worth having. Shade immediately apologizes and speaks up about it. Birk just feels relief, or looks like he feels relief when Fitz walks in, because I'm sure he didn't know if Fitz was just going to run away. Right. It's definitely clearly tense in this <laughs> in this scene, but also just... I want to say sad because we know it's going to happen, this big fight, but they clearly love him and worry about him and want him to be okay. And you can see that even through the shades of Fitz telling, which is darkened by his self-loathing and Mm -hmm. feeling of worthlessness. And it's really, really sad. I think in reading this chapter, I tried really hard to think about this from Chade and Burek's perspective to like see through what Fitz is saying to see the little cracks of his version of events. Yeah. And in Fitz's mind, these are two men that pity him who will never see him as a man again, who, because they know most of his secrets can never respect him and he can't blame them. And that's not at all what this is. No. These people love him dearly and want him to be okay. They want what's best for him. They want him to get better. And because of the dire situation that they're in, I they are kind of pushing too hard too fast in some ways. But also, a lot of people's lives are on the line, so I don't I don't blame them. But I just think in reading this, you really if you really think about Fitz being a flawed narrator, you can really start to see that his assumption that no one can ever love him is really a driving force in what causes him to make so so many horrible decisions. Yeah, it truly is. And it's really sad. They sit down to eat, and eventually Birik pipes up and says, I understand your question now. And he's talking about the question from last chapter of what we what do we do next? Yes. Because at the time, Birik didn't believe Fitz when Fitz piped up said Verity was alive. And so Birik was a man 
without a mooring, he, or a boat without a mooring. Like, he was just kind of adrift. He got Ketrakin to safety, knew she was safe, but if he sought her out, it would probably bring danger to her, or at least attention in that direction. And for now, he saw himself as a man whose service to the king was in the past. Right. Because there was no king to serve. There was nothing, no task to do, nothing to do. That's why he, he was kind of hopeless, and we saw him declining the last chapter. Right. Is because he had no purpose besides bringing Fitz back, and, and there was no news, no news. There was, like, nothing going on. Right. And he does say that, you know, if the queen's son happened to make it to his coming of age and he wasn't dead, then he would gladly help the next king if he could in whatever way he could. Right. Um, but it's definitely not a healthy way to live. <laughs> it shouldn't have taken knowing Verity is alive to find a purpose, but that is neither here nor there. Yeah, well, it'll be in a few pages, yes. <laughs> but it's uh, it's definitely a flaw that Beric has as yes. well, because like father, like son, self-loathing is very evident <laughs> for both Fitz and Beric. Yeah. So Beric is explaining himself to Fitz like I that's what I didn't know. Like right. I, That's why I said I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we'll fish more. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> that was my answer because I didn't know Verity was alive and there was something else to do. Because if Verity lives, then a pretender has claimed his throne. I am sworn to come to my king's aid as is Chade, as are you. They were both looking at me very hard. Run away again. I can't. Beric flinched as if I had poked him with a pin. I wondered, if I moved for the door, would he fling himself upon me to stop me? But he did not speak or move, just waited. Not I. That Fitz died, I said bluntly. Beric looked as if I had struck him. But Chade asked quietly, Then why does he still wear King Shrewd's pin? And Fitz draws the pin out and looks at it. In, first of all, intending to say, you know, I'm done with it. Just take it. That's yeah. not me anymore. But he just looks at it. Recalling everything. Recalling when he got the pen from Shrewd. Saying, there, now you are mine. But he was dead. So did that free Fitz from his promise? And what about the last thing that Shrewd said to him? What have I made of you? I pushed that question aside once more. More important, what was I now? Was I now what Regal had made of me? Or could I escape that? Regal told me, I said consideringly, that I had but to scratch myself to find Nameless the dog boy. I looked up and forced myself to meet Beric's eyes. It might be nice to be him. It's just so sad. <laughs> Fitz's inner monologue. I guess when is it not? But... It's sad to see him struggling with what has happened to him and boiling it down to all I am now is what Regal made me. Yeah. Which is not true. And there is more to him. There are more to his memories than just what Regal did. But he is not coping with it very well. 
Which, I mean, it's a hard thing to cope yes, with. And it probably seems an insurmountable task. Yeah, especially, be, you know. Get beyond that. Without you know. any professional help. Right, yeah. <laughs> you just have a guy who hates to talk about feelings with you all the time alone in the woods. But it's just so sad to see the struggle almost firsthand because we're hearing this. I am nothing but what Regal made me. What Shrewd has done doesn't matter anymore because all that's left over is Regal. He even asks himself, could I escape that? And then says out loud, maybe it would be nice to be what Regal said and just be nameless. Yeah. You know? So it's it's interesting. Yeah. But Bjork comes back with, would it be nice to be nameless, the dog boy? Yeah. Who are you? What would you do? You know? Mm-hmm. And Fitz just says, you know, I'm, I'm going to go away. Anywhere. You know, Chalced, Bingtown, good with animals. I'm a decent scribe. I could make a living. And Birik says, no doubt of it, but a living is not a life. And this really sets Fitz off. Yeah, because in his mind, he, he hasn't had a life ever. Right. In his mind, he has been directed. He has been prodded, poked, pointed in a direction, told to do whatever he wants, like whatever the person wants him to do. And he has had no decisions or directions over his life, which is true to an extent. He has more freedom than he realizes, which gets pointed out to him later. It is a hard thing though because he doesn't feel that freedom right i think because he has no trust in anyone (laughs) he just feels the the edge of the tether i guess Mm. he has a long rope it's not true freedom but he has more freedom than he thinks it's just when you want absolute freedom all you can feel is the chain holding you back right so I, i get where he's coming from too Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to separate my mind out from from just his first person point of view and mm-hmm. see both perspectives because in my mind, yes, he is directed and guided in one place, and it is not fair to put a boy through what he has been mm-hmm. or what he was trained for. But at the same time, as is pointed out later by Chade, he has had a lot of freedoms, and people kind of allowed him to do what he wanted. Within his lot that he was given in life. Right. Which is kind of all anybody gets, really. Right. But I think that's that lot is what Fitz has issues with. Right. He right. didn't want to be given as an assassin. He right. didn't want to be a stable boy. Although I think he would have been content just being a stable boy. Right. If he was normal. But no. yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to see both sides. I mean, I do obviously see both sides because they're laid out pretty plainly. <laughs> I just... I'm in a weird place because I side with Fitz and his point of view of like, I have been directed unfairly Mm -hmm. because he was so young. But at the same time, I abhor how he acts and responds to everything about it and how he goes about his way of arguing. And Chade is much more like, hey, we left you a lot of leeway and you made all the wrong decisions with it. (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, (laughs) Fitz gets angry here because those emotions are bubbling up like i i have been restricted my whole life i have i haven't had a life so what is what makes a life you know 
You'd have me devote myself to my king and sacrifice all else to it as you did. Give up the woman I love to follow a king like a dog at his heels as you did. And when that king abandoned you, you swallowed it. You raised his bastard for him. Then they took it all away from you. Stable, horses, dogs, men to command. They left you nothing. Not even a roof over your head. Those kings you were sworn to. So what did you do? With nothing else left to you, you hung on to me, dragged the bastard out of a coffin, and forced him back to life. A life I hate. A life I don't want. I glared at him accusingly. He stared at me, bereft of words. I wanted to stop, but something drove me on. The anger felt good, like a cleansing fire. I clenched my hands into fists as I demanded. Why are you always there? Why do you always stand me up again for them to knock down? For what? To make me owe you something? To give you a claim on my life because you don't have the spine to have a life of your own? All you want to do is make me just like you. A man with no life of my own. A man who gives it all up for my king. Can't you see there's more to being alive than giving it all up for someone else? I met his eyes and then looked away from the pained astonishment I saw there. No, I said dully after a breath. You don't see. You can't know. You can't even imagine what you've taken away from me. I should be dead, but you wouldn't let me die. All with the best of intentions. Always believing you were doing what was right, no matter how it hurt me. But who gave you that right over me? Who decreed you could do this to me? Oh, Fitz. Yeah. I mean, it goes on, too. Yeah. <laughs> There's more. No, I... But that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. The whole page of a of a rant, an angry yeah. rant against Birik. I think just on what we've covered so far is a really good, just in very plain words, how Fitz thinks yes. about the world. Yep. Nobody just does good things to Fitz. It's always with the expectation of being owed for what to make me owe you something right it's not out of the kindness of their heart or because they love him or want what's best for him or even if it is because they want what's best with for him who gave them the right to choose what's best for him and it's really sad because that is such a cynical way of looking at life it's an old assassin's mentality you're a tool to be used I guess. Game piece. But even Chade has people he cares about. Oh, yeah. He does. It's it's just so (laughs) warped. And I don't know where it comes from exactly. Because in my head while reading this, I've been trying to decide what made him develop into this person who truly cannot trust anyone. I mean... Clearly, he was left by his mother unwillingly from the mother's part, but in his eyes, abandoned by his mother, his father wouldn't even meet him in person. Betrayed by his, uh, by Beric for quote unquote killing Nosy. Yep. And Chade, it made him kill thing people. Yeah. And shrewd only wanted him to be a tool the the turning point i think that shade points out later and i I kind of agree with with this as well is the mountain kingdom the end of book one fits 
went in there thinking he was going to do one thing and then realized that he was just literally just going to be a tool and the downfall of something. Regal was trying to take over a bunch of stuff and Shrewd kind of had abandoned him. He tried to reach out to Shrewd and Shrewd just said, yeah, so what? Listen to Regal. So he really felt there that I am a tool. Nothing matters. My king, who I put so much love and trust into, kind of left me out to dry. Right. And that's where he lost, like, the loyalty to Shrewd and transferred it onto Verity as well. Right. But as as Chade points out later, I think that's where he gets the cynicism in his life as well of, like, well, people just want me for something. Yeah. And that's why I'm around. That's fair, I guess. I didn't think about it that way particularly, but I guess I just I don't understand the lack because dogs, which is the only thing he seems to bond to, I guess wolf and dog, um, but canines in general have loyalty. They have trust. They don't think at least from what it seems that people just use them for something. But in, in this series, it seems to be only to one person. Yeah. That loyalty or trust. It's all the canines to Beric, uh, Leon to Faraday, Night Eyes to Fitz. Like he, like we mentioned before, he latches right. onto that one person. So I feel like now that he has Night Eyes, no one else is like worthy of that trust. It's just what that's, he's getting from the dogs. It's yeah, just that one person you can trust and rely on. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so sad because I was, I, what I was trying to get at is that, I mean, dogs understand a hierarchy of some sort, Yeah. but they give love and affection and hunt mm-hmm. with you with no expectations of anything. And so it's just like interesting, but yeah, I guess you're right. It's usually a blind loyalty to at least one person and mm-hmm. that person is night eyes. I don't know. It just makes me really sad for him and for Burek because that would be really hard to hear from your basically basically your son is like just thinking where did this come from like is this what you thought of me the whole time Uh uh-huh and even if this is which it is out of misplaced anger it's gotta come from some kernel of truth it it does i mean yeah reveals a lot of Beric's life as well as we know it yeah even if it's from the harshest possible angle yeah. It it is true in a sense. Beric has always kind of latched himself on to at least as we know him in the six duchies, he has latched himself on to a task, a duty, a king, a right. service above himself so he can dedicate his life to it. Right. But it's just sad to have Fitz mm-hmm. think this way and to see so plainly without the confusing muddlings of a young boy's mind. Right. Um exactly laid out of why do you even care about me mm-hmm. and and we'll see a little bit later Birk does talk about his past and we'll see and, and i'll talk about this point again of right of why Birk is like this now because he was the opposite when he was a kid so there's a quiet for a time Chade was frozen and the look on Birk's face only made fitz angrier i saw him gather himself up He reached for his pride and dignity as he said quietly, Your father gave me that task, Fitz. I did my best by you, boy. The last thing my prince told me, chivalry said to me, Raise him well. And I 
gave up the next decade of your life to raising someone else's bastard, I cut in with savage sarcasm, took care of me because it was the only thing you really knew how to do. All your life, Birik, you've been looking after someone else, putting someone else first, sacrificing any kind of a normal life for someone else's benefit. Loyal as a hound. Is that a life? Haven't you ever thought of being your own man, making your own decisions? Or is a fear of that what pushes you down the neck of a bottle? My voice had risen to a shout. When I ran out of words, I stared at him, my chest rising and falling as I panted out my fury. As an angry boy, I'd often promised myself that someday he would pay for every cuff he had given me, for every stall I had had to muck out when I thought I was too tired to stand. With those words, I kept, I kept that sulky little promise tenfold. His eyes were wide and he was speechless with pain. I saw his chest heave once, as if to catch a breath knocked out of him. The shock in his eyes was the same as if I had suddenly plunged a knife into him. I stared at him. I wasn't sure where those words had come from, but it was too late to call them back. Saying, I'm sorry, would not ununtter them, would not change them in the least. I suddenly hoped he would hit me, that he would give us both of us, at least that much. Birix stands and walks unevenly out. I just sat, feeling something inside me going very still. I hoped it was my heart. It's, ugh. I'm tearing up just thinking about pure, poor Burek. And I know that we've given him a hard time for some of his choices in parenting fits. And he deserves to be held accountable for some of his questionable choices made in parenting fits. But this is just so... This is not fair. No. No. Some of it, yes, is true. But I'm sure (laughs) this is not what anybody needed to hear. This is not productive. This is not the... (laughs) This is a young kid saying, I hate you to your parents. Yeah. Lashing out. It it does feel very childlike, which I have to remind myself that Fitz is a teenager here. Not yeah. not a young teenager. Yeah, he's like 19. He, he is basically an adult. Yeah. But he's still young. This isn't a 30-year-old no, lashing No, he, he was never way. allowed to, like, mature in no. a way. And so part of that explains sort of how he's even in the mindset to be able to do this, I think, to another adult. Um, But I think it also stems from this place of never being enough. And it's misplaced because Burek has always been there to help him and to set him back up on his feet again. Yeah. And in a way, Fitz resents that because... It meant that he had to keep almost dying. Yeah. Which is not Bjork's fault, and I don't think that was Bjork's intention ever. No, and if and if it's thought through it, like, what is he supposed to do? Let you die one time? Yeah. It, it just... Ugh. It breaks my heart for Bjork because of how much this hurts him. Mm-hmm. And literally, like, 30 seconds later, Fitz just wants to take all the words back. Yeah. Because he knows how much it hurt him. Yeah. Well, the thing about Fitz and Birik 
is that they both have self-loathing and Fitz basically just called him out on all the, the worst thoughts he has on himself. Yeah. And it's so much worse when somebody that you love and care about says something to you that is in your vein of insecurities Mm -hmm. because it sticks way more than any nice thing they could ever say to you. Because then you're like, see, I was right about myself. Mm -hmm. And it's so heartbreaking. And I just, ugh, I hate it. I wish this didn't happen. And yet it does. (sighs) And... Shade confronts him. Because like us watching this, he wants to know why. Yeah. What what you think it fits? What's going on? Then Shade sighed. Why? He asked quietly after a time. I don't know. I lied so well. Shade himself had taught me. I almost tried to explain it to him. I decided I could not. I found myself talking all around it. Maybe I needed to get free of him. Of all he'd done for me even when I didn't want him to do it. He has to stop doing things I can never pay him back for. Things no man should do for another. Sacrifices no man should make for another man. I don't want to owe him any more. I don't want to owe anyone anything. And again, the owing, the I need to give you something back because you're helping me kind of thing. It's not done out of love. It's done out of obligation and then i'm obligated to give you something back right and also that's what a parent does i mean obviously not to this extreme i'm sure in like 99 percent of cases <laughs> but that's what a parent is there to do to love you or that they're supposed to be is someone who loves you and supports you and does things that no man should be doing for another man and things that are impossible to pay back because that's what they're supposed to that's part of being a parent Mm -hmm. and it's so sad that Fitz instead of thinking wow how lucky am I to have someone who loves me that much is thinking "Ugh, I'm tired of owing somebody something that I can't pay back yeah Fitz is extremely angry here and he puts Fitz not really in his place but he he explains what we know, and what Birik has said before as well. Mm-hmm. Ever since you came back from the Mountain Kingdom, it's been as if you were spoiling for a fight with anyone. When you were a boy and you were sullen or sulky, I could put it down to your being a boy, with a boy's judgment and frustrations. But when you came back with an anger, like a challenge to the world at large, to kill you if it could, it wasn't just that you threw yourself in Regal's path. Whatever was the most dangerous to you, you plunged yourself into. Birik wasn't the only one to see it. Look back over the last year. Every time I turned about, here was Fitz, railing at the world, in the middle of a fistfight, in the midst of a battle, wrapped up in bandaging, drunk as a fisherman, or limp as a string and mewling for elf bark. When were you calm and thoughtful? When were you merry with your friends? When were you ever simply at peace? If you weren't challenging your enemies, you were driving away your friends. What happened between you and the fool? Where is Molly now? You've just sent Birik packing. Who's next? You, I suppose. The words came out of me anyway. Inevitably. I did not want to speak them, but I could not hold them back. It was time. And this is 
our clear-cut indicator of what the other characters were seeing of Fitz. Yeah. Without Fitz's narration to color in the details of how what his thoughts are behind it. From his point of view, everything that he did was needed. Right. He needed to do everything at that instant in that way. Maybe it didn't turn out as well as he thought it might, but it needed to there get done. No other options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so seeing that it truly was just one choice after the other to put himself in the most dangerous position. It's it's I think eye opening for me as a reader. It really, I think, gave me a sense of, oh, Fitz is not the most reliable of narrators. Right. Um, not that it isn't a good story and that we can't gain a lot from it. But yeah, it does kind of point out the flaws in the storytelling that we've had up to this point. So Fitz says, for a long time now, nothing I've done has pleased you or Birik or anyone. I can't seem to make a good decision lately. I'd concur with that, Chade agreed relentlessly. And it was back, the ember of my anger billowing into flame. Perhaps because I've never been given the chance to make my own decisions. Perhaps because I've been everyone's boy too long. Burek's stable boy, your apprentice assassin, Verity's pet, Patience's page. When did I get to be mine? For me? I asked the question fiercely. When did you not? Jade demanded just as heatedly. That's all you've done since you came back from the mountains. You went to Verity to say you'd had enough of being an assassin just when quiet work was needed. Patience tried to warn you clear of Molly, but you had your way there as well. It made her a target. You pulled Patience into plots that exposed her to danger. You bonded to the wolf despite all Birik said to you. You questioned my every decision about King Shrewd's health. And your next to last stupid act at Buckkeep was to volunteer to be part of an uprising against the crown. You brought us as close to a civil war as we've been in a hundred years. And my last stupid act, I asked with bitter curiosity. Killing Justin and Serene, he spoke a flat accusation. They'd just drained my king, Chade, I pointed out icily. Killed him in my arms, as it were. What was I to do? He stood up and somehow managed to tower over me as he had used to. With all your years of training from me... All my schooling and quiet work, you went racing about in the keep with a drawn knife, cutting the throat of one and stabbing the other to death in the great hall before all assembled nobles. My fine apprentice assassin, that was the only way you could think of to accomplish it? I was angry, I roared at him. Exactly, he roared back. You were angry. So you destroyed our power base at Buckkeep. You had the confidence of the coastal dukes, and you chose to show yourself to them as a madman, shattered their last bit of faith in the farseer line. A few moments ago, you rebuked me for having the confidence of those dukes. No, I rebuked you for putting yourself before them. You should never have let them offer you the rule of Buckkeep. Had you been doing your tasks properly, such a thought would have never occurred to them. Over and over and over again, you forget your place. You are not a prince. You are an assassin. You are not the player. You are the game piece. And when you make your own moves, you set every other strategy awry and endanger every piece on the board. And Fitz can only sit quietly. He says it's not because he agrees with him, but there's just nothing to say. I 
think that end bit is part of what makes him a catalyst. It is, yeah. I was thinking that too when I was rereading. I'm like, well, that's just kind of describing <laughs> yeah, what makes- fit or what the fool has told him. Right. And so all of these character flaws that he does have are kind of necessary to move the world forward instead of backwards in the long run. It just means total chaos for his personal life in the present. Welcome to being a protagonist, Fitz. (laughs) Yeah. But Chade has some good points. 100% he does. Fitz has always made his own choices. He's bullied his way into doing whatever he wanted. He's hard-headed. He's kind of arrogant, even though he's self-loathing. Uh-huh. Because he thinks that he can just get away with whatever he wants. Yeah, he thinks he knows best at all time. Mm-hmm. All the adults don't know anything. He can't trust a single person in his life. So he continues to make whatever choice suits his needs best. And Chade points out that every single time he does that, and instead of listening to somebody he should trust, he ruins everything. Yeah. He puts people in danger. He ruins the stronghold at buck he puts himself in the eyes of a of the others as a madman and it's hard to hear for fitz it's hard to hear for the reader yes at least the first time through i was kind of expecting it this time but the first time through i was like oh my god (laughs) chade went off on my boy Fitz, but, like, you're kind of (laughs) right. Oh, now that I think back. (laughs) Oh. um, Maybe he was making some questionable choices. (laughs) Okay, speak your truth, Jade. Okay. Go off. Um, Yeah, it's it's hard because Jade is right. And we know that some of this felt like a non-decision to Fitz. And this goes back to a conversation we had what feels like a million episodes ago. I cannot remember which one. Um, But the question of whether or not Fitz's life has real autonomy because he is a catalyst. Whether it's destiny or if it's choices that he makes. So it makes me wonder if the way that he is is be, he feels that he has to do these things is because he's being pulled by this greater path, by this greater destiny of being a catalyst, or if these are just truly poor decisions made by a young boy who has had a hard life. That's It's still such an interesting question to me because on one hand, it kind of makes sense that a greater destiny would be pulling him to make these decisions to right the world. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everything we know in book about all of the lore of the prophecies and everything like that is that the catalyst is like the only one with like the real big free will to change the future. Right. And their decisions alter all of the future. So it it feels like the whole religion and the actuality surrounding the white prophets and catalysts means that he has to have complete autonomy and free will because the fool is so scared of directing him in one way or the other. Right. But at the same time, it, it doesn't really click the same way that like a driving force right. would have for Fitz, you know? Right. My counter thought to that, because I kind of think that I'm falling into a camp of Fitz is being pulled along by a higher power. Um, my counterpoint to that would just be that because his moves are so erratic, 
and no regular person would want to make choices this drastic because really all of its choices are really black and white. It's either you do this thing or you don't ever do it at all. With talking to Molly, either I am sneaking into her room and sleeping with her or I don't even look her way once. It's either or in a lot of his decision making. And I feel like regular people don't really live that way. And so maybe because of this different way of living, it seems like, oh, he has free will. He's like, his mind is open to a different path. Sure. <laughs> my, my way of explaining it to myself against that right. argument is that I feel like that pulling really just takes the responsibility of those actions from Fitz. Mm. And it's just like covering for him. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because like, oh, he was just doing these things to... You know, these all had to happen to go on the better path. But, like, not everything affects the outcome of the future, you know? Like, he didn't have to be... A jerk to patience. (laughs) There there are certain things like that where it's just like, okay, well, if I just say that everything is being directed by a greater uh, destiny for him to fix the world or bring dragons back because that is who he... what he has to do, that's just having him blameless for the terrible things he does do. That's a good point. And he, if he has no autonomy there, then he's not really a character. Yeah, I guess he, he's not like other humans. He, he, he has way more traumas than other humans true, and more conflicting true. abilities in just like the magics themselves, because one is a shameful thing that he has to hide and he doesn't want to. Right. And the other is, lauded as this great royalty thing but there's a bunch of emotions familial emotions tied up in that because he was traumatized and almost indoctrinated into a cult and killed through it and like everything that's (laughs) dirty that has happened has been through the skill right and everything good is the one that he has to hide like it's just so many conflicting emotions not even talking about his physical or emotional traumas himself just through all the different sides of him pushing and pulling i feel like that can lead you to make some of these decisions and i don't want to cover it all up but at the same time my my first argument comes into my mind like oh it makes sense yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess i don't love the idea of excusing all of his mistakes by saying that it's all meant to be i hadn't thought about it in that way so that makes me kind of want to not think about it that way anymore right it's just like both halves are like well (laughs) but maybe it's something in the middle more like maybe he's more in tune to the paths than regular people and so he can feel a general vibe of where the outcome of a path is and so it feels so much more black and white because yeah if we're getting doing a little, or not doing something I, I don't know maybe not maybe i'm just trying to salvage this idea that <laughs> if we're getting a little metaphysical about it like thinking all of the branches of the future going off in different directions mm-hmm. and he's kind of like the central node that the correct path flows through because mm-hmm. the fool has said that like right every decision that you make affects the future and you're the one that can make this good So it like flows through him. So he'll kind of instinctively know like, and it'll feel right to make the decision to get to a better path. I don't know. Or maybe even just saying that it's just, he can feel when branches are happening, like big branches. And so he makes the choice that feels right in the moment, even if it's not right. But he just like, because he's somehow connected to the world in this way, 
because there has to be some sort of metaphysical connection in being a catalyst. I just assume there's something special there about him that makes him this catalyst. Um, Maybe he can feel the bigger splits. Yeah, I've thought about that too. Maybe it's something magical or metaphysical, or maybe it's just because he wasn't supposed to be alive and he's just a pebble thrown like in that's, oh, this ingredient wasn't supposed to be here, so I don't know how the future is going to react to him. Mm, yeah. You know you know what I mean? Because right. Fitz wasn't supposed to be alive. The fool keeps saying that. Like, you're not, you're not, you weren't supposed to be, like, born. You weren't supposed yeah. to survive past, you know, six. You weren't supposed to survive past ten. You know, like, yeah, all of these different yeah. events, he's supposed to be dead. So the future keeps thinking, like, hey, I'm going to think of the future and the different paths without this guy because he's going to he's going to be dead. And then when he's there, it's like, oh, shoot. Now what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. I don't know. It, we branched out quite a bit from that. But that that thought comes up once in a while. And yeah. it's so like it twists my mind that I don't think about it too often. And I, I just kind of go with it at this point. Yeah, it's this, this chapter made me think about it really hard, but. Sometimes it's more of just like a background thing of like, hmm, I wonder if this is a conscious choice or the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Fitz is describing himself here and he says, My secret undercurrent of fear welled once more to the surface. My resolve bled from me. I couldn't do this. I did not have the strength to defy them both. And what his decision was in the forest was to make them both leave him alone and to walk off and go alone by himself right. somewhere. So they didn't rely on him. He didn't have to rely on them. Whole owing people things and Which whatever. also is both childish and animalistic because he could have just used his words and said, hey, yeah. um, I kind of have some stuff that I want to work on on my own that is for the betterment of the kingdom or whatever he had mm-hmm. to say. He didn't have to yeah. be horrible to the two people who love him most. Right. But here we are. And so he says, all right, very well. You and Birik are right, as always. I promise I shall no longer think. I shall simply obey. What do you want me to do? No. Succinct. No what? He shook his head slowly. What has come most clear to me tonight is that I must not base anything on you. You'll get no assignment from me, nor will you be privy to my plans any longer. Those days are over. I could not grasp the finality in his voice. He turned aside from me, his eyes going afar. When he spoke again, it was not as my master, but as Chade. He looked at the wall as he spoke. I love you, boy. I don't withdraw that from you. But you're dangerous. And what we must attempt is dangerous enough without you going berserk in the middle of it. What do you attempt, I asked despite myself. His eyes met mine as he slowly shook his head. In the keeping of that secret, he sundered our ties. I felt suddenly adrift. Jade packs up and he heads out. Fitz tries to stop him by saying it's dark and it's a long way to the keep. Stay the night. And Jade points out, I can't stay here. It's worse if I stay here because you're going to keep picking at this until we have another fight. And I think enough bad words have been said tonight to last a lifetime. Time to leave. Yeah. And Fitz kind of sits inside and he says to himself or thinks to himself, I had gone too far with both of them, much farther than I had ever intended. 
I had wanted to part ways with them. Instead, I'd poisoned every memory of me they'd ever had. It was done. There'd be no mending this. Which, I mean, there... It, it will be very difficult to mend it, sure. Right. But at the same time, it's that self-loathing. I have no worth. Every memory they've ever had of me is now poisoned. I'm worthless. Right. I'm. They they should be happy they're rid of me because I'm so bad. Right. And also another extreme of, well, no fixing this. There, I couldn't possibly just apologize and work on becoming a better person. Nah, I'll just keep being a jerk. <laughs> Self-betterment is for losers. Yeah. Fitz gathers his stuff to go and then thinks a little bit better of it and puts his bundle and blanket before the hearth and stretches out on it, laying down. And he says in his head, despite the walls of the hut, I felt I curled alone on the bare, wild face of the world. And I says, you always have me. I know. And you have me. I tried, but could not put any real feeling in the words. I had poured out every emotion in me, and now I was empty, and so tired, with so much still to do. The Grey One has words with heart of the pack. Shall I listen? No. Their words belong to them. He sits quietly, stares into the fire, and says, I did not think highly of myself. It's an interesting time because Fitz is kind of giving up on them, too, which drives me crazy as a reader because I want to know what they're talking about. (laughs) But it does match Fitz's character of, well, they dropped me, so I'm dropping them. And well, (laughs) it's more like I'm dropping them and they should be happy I'm gone. So there's probably no fixing this. Right. It. He he does say that he hopes that Beer could talk Chade into coming back until morning, and perhaps Chade could maybe fix some of the poison that I gave to Beerick. But it's nothing taking it on himself. It's like, maybe others will fix this for me, but right. I, I can't mend this. Which again goes back to what Chade said earlier of, you know, you don't, you just want the world to kill you. Right. You don't have any thought for anything else, and it just... Mm-hmm. It's frustrating, especially because he just got a talking to about how kind of arrogant he is. And it's pretty arrogant to think, well, I made a huge mess, but hopefully Chade will fix it for me. Mm-hmm. Or it, I don't know. It just it's frustrating of like, really fits. You're not going to take anything from this. Right. Ugh. And eventually beer comes back. It's the dark of night. Before sunrise, but before, but going to bed would feel kind of silly. At least that's what Fitz says. I think that would still be fine to fall asleep to. He comes back and Beric is very calm. Fitz is awake still and they talk a little bit, a little small talk of like, oh, Chade shouldn't have gone out. But oh, yeah, he wanted to and he has a lantern. And he's scared he will lose his resolve to let you go. Yeah. And Fitz kind of feels that fear again and sits up panicky and says, Birik, what I said to you earlier, I was angry. I was right on target. The sound he made might have been a laugh, if not so freighted with bitterness. Only in the way that people who know one another best know how to hurt one another best, I pleaded. No, it is so. Perhaps this dog does need a master. The mockery in his voice was 
as he spoke of himself, was more poisonous than any venom I had spewed. I could not speak. He glanced at me. I did not set out to make you just like me, Fitz. That is not a thing I would wish on any man. I wished you to be like your father. But sometimes it seemed to me that no matter what I did, you persisted in patterning your life after mine. And he explains a little bit of where he came from. Yeah. We finally get to know more about Jade. Or Burek. Yeah. Of course, we've talked about it before, about his uh, beginnings and how he was born and his wit partners and stuff. But I'll go over a little bit of an overview again. Uh, he was born in Chelsea. His father had already passed away, taken by the sea, and he lived with his mother and grandmother. His mother supported both him and his grandmother. And his grandmother was a slave. She was old and she was ill because being a slave is not good on your body. No. She loved me and did her best with me, but I was not a boy who would play in the cottage at quiet games, and there was no one at home strong enough to oppose my will. And, I ha- and throughout this whole reading of um, his intro or his explanation to Fitz is that he was born in Chalced and grew up along with that toxic masculine society where you know women are anything men are you know run everything so being the only boy even if he was like six to eight he probably grew up thinking like well i'm the boss of this like my grandmother can't tell me what to do they're not strong enough to hold him back yeah so first of all he grows up with that kind of toxic mentality and it really seeps into coloring who he is as a person yep And so he bonds early to a street dog. And that street dog taught him basically what Night Eyes tries to teach him, to live in the now. Only think of what's going on right now and teaches him how to to thieve. And they steal a bunch of stuff. And when he's growing up, his mom thinks that he's a mute. His grandmother thinks he's a halfwit. Very similar things to what Fitz was considered growing up. Right. Oh, excuse me. The neighbors thought I was a mute. My mother thought I was a half-wit. Yes. (laughs) Grandmother, he thinks that she had suspicions and tried to drive the dog away. But, I mean, just like Fitz, he was a boy who wanted his best friend. The only person who knew him, so found ways around that. And eventually, he died by being trampled by a horse in a cart. And Fitz can only think of, oh, when when I was a kid... Birik took Nosy away from me, and I thought he died, but Birik actually went through the agonizing death of a witted partner when he was eight years old. Yeah. Which is crazy. That's way too young. Mm-hmm. And so he transferred his bond to his grandmother, kind of. At least that's how Birik explains it. He still stole to make his and his grandmother's and his mother's life a little bit better. But I don't know, maybe five years later, the blood plague swept through and killed both of them, leaving him alone again. Right. Fitz is thinking, you know, all the years that I had seen him drink heavily just made him shut up more. But now he was talking freely. Yeah. And he wonders why. And we know it's because Birk plans to leave. He wants to give a frame of reference to Fitz why he is the way he is. Yeah. This is his final goodbye. Mm-hmm. 
and it actually kind of is for a while and that makes it all the more sad yeah yeah for like 15 years yeah 16 years something like that and he thinks he's dead the whole time too i know i hate it so he kind of drifts Beric drifts at that point and he went to be a soldier he's probably 13 14 something like that and he is a soldier for a, a local warlord in Chalced still. And he's fighting and didn't really know why they fought. Didn't care. Didn't care. Just given a pike and said, go fight these guys. And he used his ferocity that he learned from the street dog, the live in the now, the anger, the, the, the survival instinct to survive all those, those years of fighting as a soldier didn't have any formal training or anything. He was just living on instinct, living in the now, didn't care about the future. He was an animal. Yeah, but the company he was with lost, and he became a slave for yeah. a short period. Almost a year, he says, before he managed to escape. And when he did escape, he ran to the Six Duchies, where his grandma always dreamed of going because there's no slaves. He talks about the uh, the Duke of Shokes, Grizzle, um, took him on for as a soldier for there for a bit, and somehow he ended up taking care of the troops' horses, and eventually brought back to the keep and took care of um, all the stables there as well. And he bonded with a young stallion, Neko or Nico. I had the care of him, but he was not mine. Grizzle rode him to hunt. Sometimes they used him for stud. But Grizzle was not a gentle man. Sometimes he put Nico to fight other stallions, as some men fight dogs or cocks for amusement. A mare in season, and the better stallion to have her. And I... I was bonded to him. His life was, as, was mine as much as my own was. And so I grew to be a man, or at least to have the shape of one, Birk was silent after a moment. He did not need to explain further to me. He sighed and went on. And so I, I, I want to stop, before I continue on, I want to stop there and say, Birk, by the time he is, what, 16 to 18 maybe-ish, mm -hmm. I would guess like around that time, bonded once when he was young. When he was eight, that bond died. Lived for... Five years stealing, living in Chalced still, living with his family. That was probably the best, some of the best years of his life. Right. And then both of his family members died. Mm -hmm. He went to soldier for a while, learned to fight at like young teens, yeah. killed people when he was a boy, living as an animal still, went to, became a slave for a year. Went to the Six Duchies, soldiered some more, and then came back and bonded to a horse that was then used to fight other horses yep. and lived all of those emotions as well. Yeah. This is a very, very confused young man. Right. It's a lot. And both of his wit partners are not, like, great examples of how to live life. And I don't mean that in, like... A, a mean way but i mean it'd be a little bit different if if the first dog he bonded to was like a pampered poodle no, or yeah. something they it, were both abused animals yeah and so 
it does make sense in how he views the world and how he has become this person that is kind of gruff and all or nothing because what he was learning from what should have been what his parents were teaching him was coming from wild animals who were abused. Yeah. And I do want to point out that Slash was the name of the dog because we haven't yes. said it. Just in case yeah. anybody's listening, like, what was that dog's name? It's Slash. <laughs> yes. Good good catch. Good call. And so 16 to 18, somewhere in there, I'm guessing closer to 16, mm-hmm. those horses and the six mares, that horse and the six mares were sold to Ripon, and he went along with them. And shortly after, his second partner died to uh, some sort of horse sickness. And he was able to save two of the mares. That's the only thing that kept him alive. Yep. Other than that, he was nothing but a drunkard. Yeah. Afterward, I lost all spirit. I was good for nothing save drinking. Besides, there were scarcely enough animals left in that stable to warrant calling it such. So I was let go eventually to become a soldier again this time for a young prince named chivalry he'd come to ripon to settle a boundary dispute between shokes and ripon duchies i don't know why his sergeant took me on these were crack troops his personal guard i had run out of money and had been painfully sober for three days i didn't meet their standards as a man let alone as a soldier in the first month i was with chivalry i was up before him for discipline twice for fighting. Like a dog or a stallion, I thought it was the only way to establish position with the others. The first time I was hauled before the prince, bloody and struggling still, I was shocked to see we were of an age. Almost all his troops were older than I. I had expected to confront a middle-aged man. I stood there before him, and I met his eyes, and something like recognition passed between us. As if we saw what we might have been in different circumstances. It did not make him go easy on me. I lost my pay and earned extra duties. Everyone expected chivalry to discharge me the second time. I stood before him, ready to hate him, and he just looked at me. He cocked his head as a dog will when it hears something far off. He docked my pay and gave me more duties. But he kept me. Everyone had told me I'd be discharged. Now they all expected me to desert. I can't say why I didn't. Why soldier for no pay and extra duties? Beer cleared his throat again. I heard him shoulder deeper into his bed. For a time he was silent. He went on again at last, almost unwillingly. The third time they dragged me in, it was for brawling in a tavern. The city guard hauled me before him, still bloody, still drunk, still wanting to fight. By then, my fellow guards wanted nothing more to do with me. My sergeant was disgusted. I'd made no friends among the common soldiers. So the city guard had me in custody, and they told chivalry I'd knocked two men out and held five others with a stave until the guard came to tip the odds in their way. Chivalry dismissed the guards with a purse to pay for damages to the tavern keeper. He sat behind his table, some half-finished writing before him, and looked me up and down. Then he stood up without a word and pushed his table back to a corner of the room. He took off his shirt and picked up a pike from the corner. I thought he intended to beat me to death. Instead, he threw me another pike, and he said, All right, show me how you held off five men, and lit into me. He cleared his throat. 
I was tired and half drunk, but I wouldn't quit. Finally, he got in a lucky one, laid me out cold. So I just want to say that this is the coolest depiction of chivalry that we have ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it it does show why people liked him mm-hmm. so much. He believed in people, believed that they could live up to more than they were presenting. Right. He had that faith in humanity. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of it because <laughs> Burek doesn't exactly have... Like, a lot of qualities about him that seem redeemable at this no. moment. In Be- this telling... Yeah, in this telling, Birik should not have gotten those chances. He did not deserve a fourth chance. Right. And to be fair, this is a little bit of Fitz storytelling syndrome where... Oh, I'm sure it's yeah. not... I mean, if he was fighting people, it's probably pretty bad. But he's not necessarily reliable because he also hates himself. He so, was, but he was brought for discipline three times before your commanding yeah. officer. Not great. In, in his <laughs> in personal his first, guards. Yeah. First month. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's definitely something that shouldn't happen, which explains why Birik is so loyal to him. Right. It explains like you saw something in me when I didn't think there could be a man when I thought I was living how you're supposed to live as like right. an animal fighting for dominance but chivalry showed him something different. Right. Kindness. For yeah. One. He says, when I woke up, the dog had a master again of a different sort. I know you've heard people say chivalry was cold and stiff and correct to a fault. He wasn't. He was what he believed a man should be. More than that, it was what he believed a man should want to be. He took a thieving, unkempt scoundrel and... He faltered, sighed suddenly. He had me up before dawn the next day. Weapons practiced till neither of us could stand. I'd never had any formal training at it before. They just handed me a pike and sent me out to fight. He drilled me and taught me sword. He never liked the axe, but I did. So he taught me what he knew of it and arranged for me to learn it from a man who knew its strategies. Then the rest of the day, he'd have me at his heels. Like a dog, as you say. I don't know why. Maybe he was lonely for someone his own age. Maybe he missed Verity. Maybe... I don't know. He taught me numbers first, then reading. He put me in charge of his horse, then his hounds and hawk, then in general charge of the pack beasts and the wagon animals. But it wasn't just work he taught me. Cleanliness. Honesty. He put a value on what my mother and grandmother had tried to instill in me so long ago. He showed them to me as a man's values, not just manners for inside a woman's house. He taught me to be a man, not a beast in a man's shape. He made me see it was more than rules. It was a way of being, a life, rather than a living. I do want to talk a little bit about... Chalced kind of peeking through there again. Mm-hmm. Just the little bit of he showed them to me those values as a man's values, not just manners for inside a woman's house. We know Birik is extremely ha- has great manners when it's dictated, when he needs yeah. them. But the way he internally thinks is still internalized by him growing up in Chalced, and he needs to be taught how to be quote unquote a man. Right. And this was how, you know, men should be. But it was also probably something 
5,000 times better than anything he saw in Chalced. So he's like, this is someone I need to put my trust and my belief in because he drug, dragged me out of something that I was falling into. And I didn't even see I was in a hole until he brought me to where I am. Right. No, it it is definitely like some toxic masculinity showing through. I don't love that it took another man showing him what to do for him to take seriously the lessons taught to him by women. But it does show kind of who he was as a person and what he grew up as. I think he doesn't seem to be that. No, he's not that that bad anymore. He he just needed a male role model, which he never had. Right. That was not animal. (laughs) Both. Yeah. Both of his wit partners were male. It just seems like besides Vixen later on, but it seems like he needed because of where he grew up and how he grew up. He needed that male direction, that male voice to give him direction of how to act and be. And he never got that until chivalry took it upon himself to teach him a proper way. Right. No, it's definitely interesting. Um to see it in play but it is good to like call out that it isn't a great way of thinking mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. not not great but also in character and part of who he grew up to be and i know we've talked about this before in the past but it's good to talk about it again here he says the rest of the day he'd have me at his heels like a dog you say i don't know why maybe he was lonely for someone his own age maybe he missed verity maybe I don't know. And there is that strong theory of chivalry and Beric loved each other mm-hmm. in a romantic sense, not just um, a in a platonic way. Yeah. And that could be true. And it, it does seem weird that he kept Beric around that long, you know? Right. Why, why do you think... Chivalry kept Beric after the first couple times. I think a big part of it is. Especially after that first meeting of, wow, this is who I could have been if I was not given the privileges that I have. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is that of like seeing himself. I think chivalry is an actual nice person. Yeah. Um, Although I love my now headcanon idea of like clean nerdy prince with dusty thieving smart mouth f- boy like i don't know i just love I'm that reading too many comics <laughs> uh. <laughs> some fanfics somebody point me towards those um <laughs> uh but I, I don't know i i don't know what could have caused him because it's a lot of chances after the first time yeah he's a nice guy after the third time what's going on there has to be something there, right? That's mm-hmm. causing him to keep Burek. And not that Burek would know any of his redeeming qualities that he could tell us, but I don't know if I have a solid idea of what's going on, but I do like the idea that maybe there was a little bit of a crush there of like a forbidden yeah. romance. Not that I'd think that either of them would have acted on it. Right. But, but it's, maybe I, I do want to point out one thing in the paragraph I read before about the second time he got brought before for discipline. Mm-hmm. It says he cocked his head as a dog will when it hears something far off. 
He docked my pay and gave me more duties, but he kept me. Skill. That's what I thought immediately when I read it. And I was wondering, yes, there could be that kinship when they first saw each other, but the second time you're in for discipline, you're like, okay, well, this will look bad if I don't do something or like get rid of him or something like that. He could have detected that Birik at that point had a deep well of skill and could be a king's man or was getting instruction from his father like, hey, keep him around. He could be useful later. Maybe he just could see that Birik was fighting out of need to feel like that's what a man does. Yeah. Maybe. Just a confuse like you could see the confusion and like the. Yeah. Just didn't understand and, yeah, the, because yeah. Bjerg says that's just what people, that's how he knew how to assert dominance. Mm-hmm. That's what you did yeah. as he was growing up, and that's what worked. And now he's with real soldiers, and that's not what you do in real soldier groups. And he also wants to hate, wants a reason to hate chivalry. Right. And I'm sure chivalry can basically read his mind and is like, hmm, <laughs> maybe I don't give a reason to hate me. <laughs> Well, Birik finishes his story there, and they're quiet for a little bit. He looks at the elderberry wine and sets it back down and then says, Shade said I should leave you tomorrow. I think he's right. Fitz is kind of surprised at that. Birik continues on and says, Shade says you have been my boy too long. Shade's boy, Verity's boy, even Patience's boy. That we kept you a boy and looked after you too much. He believes that when a man's decisions came to you, you made them as a boy, impulsively, intending to be right, intending to be good, but intentions are not good enough. Sending me out to kill people was keeping me a boy, I asked incredulously. Did you not listen to me at all? I killed people as a boy. It didn't make me a man, nor you. So what am I to do? I asked sarcastically. Go looking for a prince to educate me? There, you see? A boy's reply. You don't understand, so you get angry and venomous. You ask me that question, but you already know you won't like my answer. Which is? It might be to tell you that you could do worse than to go looking for a prince. But I'm not going to tell you what to do. Chade advised me not to, and I think he's right. But not because I think you make your decisions as a boy would. No more than I did at your age. I think you decide as an animal would. Always in the now, with never a thought for tomorrow, or what you recall from yesterday. I know you, I know you know what I'm speaking of. You stopped living as a wolf because I forced you to. Now I must leave you alone, for you to find out if you want to live as a wolf or a man. And that frightens Fitz, because he gets to the heart of it. It frightened me to think that he might actually know what I was facing. I denied that possibility and pushed it aside entirely. Ah, Fitz! <laughs> like, come it's on! right there! <laughs> You're not the only person that has ever feel, uh, felt emotions before. <laughs> yeah, maybe not to the degree that you were, that Birik was. You didn't get the helping hand, but he was in the same position as you for longer. Yeah. And I don't know, it's frustrating to read. I also think I I don't love the talk in here about how we babied him too much, you know, because I it kind of feels like one of those tropes of like, oh, you can't give 
young boys too much affection or they grow soft. But it does. It is a problem that they kind of shielded him from the consequences of all of his actions. Yeah. That is a is a point, and I think that's probably more what they're trying to say. And it directly fits his quotes to Chade that Chade relayed, basically. Right. Which I think that's where, like, that specific language is coming from. Right. And it's more so... We didn't... Again, like, the consequences is a great call to, to point out to. But it's also, you know... When he did make decisions, or maybe not even make decisions, he didn't even make the decisions. We, like, made him do things. Right. And that didn't make him grow up and mature and face the consequences that he would Mm -hmm. have and learn from those mistakes. And when he was able to make an adult decision, you know, about Molly or, you know, killing your king, like, avenging your king or anything Uh like that, he was impulsive. And made them as like oh my emotions say this let's do this because right. i'm a boy and i have good intentions and that means that even if the outcome's bad it's still good right yeah because he hasn't learned otherwise and i it's hard to talk in this way because fitz does have horrible things happen to him there are things that happen that are bad that he doesn't deserve or that sometimes that he does And I don't want to take away from those aspects of his life, but I do think that he has been shielded his whole life from the major consequences of his actions. Right. He has been kept on a safer path away from things, kept out of the line of sight from people who might want to harm him while the consequences are acting out. And I don't know. I think, I think it's something that he needed somebody constant in his life. Yeah. And not just like Chade where he saw him. The transient three fathers. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) He's not always around them. He wasn't. I don't know. It just he needed more structure, Mm -hmm. which is weird to say because I feel like he kind of had structure, but he kind of did it. Yeah, he didn't really. He kind of was left to his own devices a lot. Yeah. And so Fitz asked him, what's he going to get up to? And Beric's like, well, I'm going to leave tomorrow. I told you. Right? Where will you go? And Birk brings up what we know as Molly. He cleared his throat and looked uncomfortable. I have a friend. She's alone. She could use a man's strength about her place. Her roof needs mending. And there's planting to do. I'll go there for a time. She? I dared to ask, raising an eyebrow. His voice was flat. Nothing like that. A friend. You would probably say that I've found somebody else to look after. Perhaps I have. Perhaps it's time to give that where it is truly needed. I looked into the fire now. Birk, I truly needed you. You brought me back from the edge, back to being a man. He snorted. If I'd done right by you in the first place, you'd have never gone to the edge. No, I'd have gone to my grave instead. Would you? Regal would have had no charges of wit magic to bring against you. He'd have found some excuse to kill me, or just opportunity... He doesn't really need an excuse to do what he wants. Perhaps, perhaps not. And Fitz tries to give back his earring. Mm-hmm. The uh, the freed slave emblem yes. from his grandmother that he had given to chivalry and patience had passed on to Fitz, not knowing the meaning. Right. Bjork says, I would prefer that you kept it, wore it. It was almost a request. It felt odd. 
I don't deserve whatever it is that this earring symbolizes to you. I haven't earned it. I have no right to it. What it symbolizes to me is not something that is earned. It's something I gave to you, deserved or not. Whether or not you wear that, you still take it with you. Which, oh, Birik. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he still loves him. Of course. And I think this is kind of his way of saying that, of like, you're my son. You don't have to earn my love or my respect to you. That's just something that I give to you, Mm -hmm. even when you don't deserve it, like after just (laughs) being a jerk. (laughs) So Fitz keeps the earring. He wears it. And he waits for Burek to ask him a question. And it doesn't come. And so kind of to fill the silence and also to meet the need, he tells Burek, I don't know what I'm going to do. All my life, I've always had tasks to do, masters to answer to. Now that I don't, it's a strange feeling. I thought for a time he wasn't going to reply at all. Then he said abruptly, I've known that feeling. And then Fitz brings up Molly. He asks Spirit if he knows where she is. He says yes. Just yes. <laughs> Doesn't say any more. And the way he answers makes Fitz know that he shouldn't ask any more questions. Clearly there's something there. And so he tells Burek, I know it's the wisest thing to let her go. And that she thinks I'm dead anyway. I just hope that whoever whoever takes care of her takes better care of her than I did. I hope that he loves her as she deserves. There was a rustling of Burek's blankets. What do you mean? He asked guardedly. It was harder to say than I thought it would be. She told me when she left that there was someone else, someone that she cared for as I cared for my king, someone she put ahead of everything and everyone else in her life. My throat closed up suddenly. I took a breath, willing the knot in my throat away. Patience was right, I said. Yes, she was, Burek agreed. I can blame it on no one save myself. Once I knew Molly was safe, I should have let her go her own way. She deserves a man who can give her all his time and his devotion. Yes, she does, Birk agreed relentlessly. And shame you didn't realize that before you had been with her. Oof. <laughs> Harsh words. Yeah, but something that Fitz needed to learn. And uh, I, I think this interaction is very interesting because we know that Birk and Molly get married. Right. And this little thing of... She believes me dead. I hope that whoever she went to takes better care of her than I did. I hope he loves her as she deserves. What do you mean? Yes, Garley. I think he could see himself getting uh, some feelings, or he thinks that Fitz thinks that Fitz knows that Birik is seeing Molly, right. and that's why he's asking, like, "Hey, wh- what are you talking about?" Like, yeah. So he's a little guarded there, and then when he. When Fitz explains further of what happened, their last interaction, Beric's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, that's true. And just lets his guard down. I wonder if 
this is what pushes Beric to marry Molly. Because this is the last talk that they have. The next time Beric sees what he thinks is Fitz, it is a dead corpse. Um, So he believes Fitz to be dead for the next forever, (laughs) for like 15 years, as we've said. Um, And I wonder if knowing that Fitz, the last thing Fitz wanted was just Molly to have somebody to care for her and to love her and to give her a secure life. He sees that as like a task he has to bring on because of the things he's done to Fitz. If probably, that's probably a little bit. I can see where you're coming from with I, that. And not yeah. that I don't think that there's any care there. No, for yeah, Molly. yeah. I understand. It's just kind of a subconscious thing that right. Beric as a character latches onto. It's just yeah. like someone I love wants this to happen. I can I can make it happen. Yeah. I also feel like it's a little bit of the rant that Fitz said to him, like, you're always beholden to someone, you're always doing something and like for your king, for the service or whatever, do something. Don't haven't you wanted to do anything for yourself? And I think Beric does have love for Molly eventually and, and thinks of that and follows through with it. It's like right. this is something for myself. This is you know? Yeah. This is a life I can live. And after he kind of rebukes Fitz about how he treated Molly, Fitz says, I will never regret loving her, only that I could not make her my wife in all eyes as she was in my heart. He said nothing to that. Mm -hmm. I think it is really sweet. It is young love. It is. It's good to know that he doesn't regret loving her. It's like one of the few good things that is not tainted in his mind. Right. <laughs> but also, I'm glad they didn't get married at this point. Oh, yeah. We've, it's not we've been over yeah. episodes and episodes of why it was bad in the end. Right. At least at that point of their lives. For all the reasons that we've talked about Fitz as well. How immature he is. How he never really made true decisions and mm-hmm. couldn't face the consequences. Right. So... Tomorrow we go our own ways, I suppose, Fitz tells Beric. And Beric wishes him luck and actually sounds like he means it. And Fitz thinks about how he's very tired now. Tired of hurting the people I loved, but it was done now. Tomorrow, Beric would leave and I would be free. Free to follow my heart's desire with no intervention from anyone. Free to go to Tradeford and kill Regal. Which, like, yeah, you're denying all of the responsibility from Beric and Che and everything. And then saying, like, oh, I don't have any relation to my past. Like, I just want to be my own man to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you immediately get involved back in with the whole royal family and embroilment right. and stuff. Like, also, your heart's desire is to kill Regal. I mean, I mean, don't get me at, wrong. Okay, at this point, don't like, get me wrong. I also, my heart desire is to see Regal suffer. But you just got done lamenting, lamenting about Molly. He he did talk about that in the chapter a little bit. Right. There there was one thing when I think Chade asked him what he would do, or Beric asked him what he would do, and he immediately thinks of going to Molly, and then pushes it aside because he's like, I lost that before I even died. I can't go to right. her. But it just clearly that's what his heart wants. So it's weird of him to be like my heart desire is to kill regal 
Well, without Molly, yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, I don't know. It's just it's very animalistic and exactly what his two fathers were just telling him, like, hey, you need to work on. <laughs> and after that, I'm sure he will. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it again stems back to this immaturity of never having to face any of his consequences because, okay, you kill Regal, then what? What does that right. mean for afterwards? You're not thinking things through and it's just like they had said. Impulsive boy's decision. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, anything, any last words to say about this chapter, Emma? <sighs> I'm sorry to everyone that <laughs> we all had to suffer through the agonizing sadness that is Fitz trying to get rid of his friends and then not taking any responsibility for it. I feel kind of bad for like reading all of the rant out, but I think it needed to be read out. It's just harsh words and very harsh. It's hard to talk around that. Yeah, no, it's it's a good chapter. It's so well written and it does paint a better picture of all the things going on. Um, It's one of the better written chapters, I think, of the series so far. And I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly I hate the feelings that I get when reading this. But no, it is very good and very well written. And I can't believe that it's just two chapters of this. Because whenever I think of everything that happens in the last chapter in this chapter, I feel like that takes up the whole first half of the book. It's probably so, it was probably on one of your like um, you got demotivated for reading or unmotivated. Yeah, because like, it's you so started, hard to. You finished up Royal Assassin, took a little bit of a break from it because you're like, well, that was rough, and then you started up Assassin's Quest, and you're like, what is this? I need yeah. to stop for a while. <laughs> I need to take a break from angst. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's why I felt like it lasted a while. It it must have be something <laughs> like that because. This always feels like it takes up so much more of the book to me, and it doesn't. So I'm excited to see what actually takes up the rest of the book. Well, I think this next chapter is still him in the cabin, and then it ends with the Forged One attack. So we get three chapters at least of him like this. Right, right. But uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us ramble on and on about feelings (laughs) and, and, you know, pasts and fates and destinies and things like that if you have any comments to make about any of the things that have happened so far please let us know isfitshappy at gmail.com or message us isfitshappy at facebook instagram and uh twitter yeah we look forward to hearing from you we get to talk about some stuff you guys are setting in it's always my favorite time but we don't always get to do it whenever we do now that it's been a while since we did the last one it feels like wow we're really getting back into podcasting (laughs) (laughs) after the past couple chapters so we're gonna start today with instagram dm that we got from a listener named johnny who let us know that they've always thought that the scraping at verity slash fitz's mind when Fitz is skilling with Verity in the dungeons, isn't the skill road, but the pale woman. Yeah, there's that like something, something deeper that Verity is trying to protect or something like that, right? Right. Protect yeah. Fitz from. Yeah. And they said that they think that 
they were still attacking the most prominent skill source they could find. And this is in reference to episode 58. Yeah. Which is a very interesting theory. Um, I fall into the trap of kind of believing things at face value sometimes. So I don't always look for maybe this could be the pale woman, pale woman's machinations behind the scenes, you know. So that's very cool to it's cool to hear. Yeah, it's an interesting theory that I haven't seen or heard before. Um, so I really liked it and definitely want to share it with other people um, to know. Does anybody else think that it is the pale woman? Yeah, and where um, else do you think she's influencing the story without yeah. being there? For as much as we talk about her and bring her up, I don't think that we very often talk about ways she could be influencing what's going on or how much influence she has on what's going on. I think mostly because... It's very hard to tell what capacity any white has to influence directly or indirectly. 100%. So I love pale woman theories. Um, (laughs) So thank you. Uh, Thank you for that theory. And lastly, we have a comment on an old episode on Facebook. This is uh, episode 54. We're back in Royal Assassin near the end. And it, we're talking about when Fitz has elf bark in him after he is exhausted, I think, talking to Verity through King Shrewd. Mm-hmm. When uh, Regal kind of comes in and kicks him out and everyone cover, covers for him. Right. And he's going back to his room and has elf bark to clear out the head and Will comes by. And he could feel like Will stalking him. I thought this was whenever he decided to go to Molly's room. And he saw Will in the corner, willing him to keep doing whatever it was that he was going to do. I thought that was the same night. Yeah. Where Fitz, like, decides to go to... But he goes to his room first. I think the way you were saying it was, like, Will was stalking him after that. Oh. Well, I mean, Fitz thinks he was. But he doesn't notice him until he's on his way to, to Molly's. Right. Yes. Okay, yeah. And Ellen here is commenting saying uh we we were talking about how maybe him being dosed with elf bark might be a plot hole because how would he notice that will is trying to skill him and how how did that whole thing work out because aren't you supposed to be dead into everything and they posit that it's possible that it's not a plot hole what if he needed to be shielded by the elf bark to notice will so if it covers up some of your skill, it would take Will a lot more effort to push through and keep track and like try to skill his mind to say that I'm not here kind of thing. And that's when Fitz was able to notice it because Will had right. to expend a lot more effort to get the effect to happen. He couldn't be as subtle. Right. Also, it is worth noting that in the later series, the elf bark that they're taking to completely shield themselves from um, Dahlia's troop is the special Mountain Kingdom variety. Which uh, it's I- the uh, Out Islanders. Oh, sorry. The yep. Out Islanders. Because it happens or- in Tawny Man as well. Yes. So, Delvin Bark. To be fair, upon thinking of that detail as well, um, it's possible that regular elf bark from the Duchies just isn't strong enough. It, to fully block things out? Yeah, it doesn't fully block, but it does make it a lot harder. And the mm-hmm. strength that we hear of Fitz drinking, like the tea from, is kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, Kettle is insane. And Kettle is, is, thinks Verity and Fitz are both insane for using elf bark at all because it stunts your 
skill growth and ability itself. Right. So there is some, you know, blockage there, but it's probably not total blockage. Yeah. But that was a good point that it isn't necessarily a plot hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could just be Will exerting more, more effort. And so it's more detectable. Yeah. So thank you very much, Ellen, for commenting. Yes. We love hearing corrections. So thank you. And that's all we have <laughs> for this week. Thank you guys so much for reaching out. As always, we love hearing from you, whether it's to tell us we are right or wrong. And we look forward to the next things you guys are going to share with us. 